We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and everybody. I'm Rob Black. Today, sitting in with me will be CFP Chad Burton for a segment, maybe two, talking all things financial, talking a little COVID. Um, there's some relatively good signs out there. Oil prices are creeping higher, off real low levels. Norwegian Cruise Line says there's substantial doubt they'll stay in business, which I think is a good thing. Someone should fail throughout all this. Starbucks is going to try to open up 85% of its stores by the end of this week. Pfizer has dosed a patient in a clinical trial for a vaccine. New York has said, here's what it's going to look like when we start to open. But CFP Chad Burton has a little bit more to offer today. Mr. Burton, you've mentioned before yes, a couple updates we need to talk about on the CARES Act issues. Um, where do we stand on that? That feels so three weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's still more coming out. I mean, first of all, there's going to be a lot of clarity required on the PPP loans. Those are the loans where businesses were able to take out a loan for two and a half times your 2019 average salary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's certain requirements about getting people back to work by June 30th and not cutting uh, salaries by more than 25% for people that make less than 100000 But, I mean, the loans were, you know, doled out extremely quickly, but yet there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, kind of rules tied around who could get it and who couldn't. Um, so there, there's more and more clarification coming out. Actually, there was um, just yesterday more regulations that I'm trying to kind of digest. I'm actually letting a CPA I know go through it and then kind of give me the bullet points because there's a lot of regulations when it comes to these loans. For example, they've already announced that there'll be an audit of any businesses that took loans out more than $2 million. That's going to be kind of the target. So if a business took out a loan for more than $2 million on the PPP side, and they didn't really necessarily need it, there's probably going to be some issues. Um, and those that took it are also going to need to realize that if you get this loan and you meet the certain requirements, like you use, you get people back to work by June 30th, um, you use the funds specifically for wages and rents and utilities, the loan is going to be forgivable. And usually when a loan is forgivable, Rob, it's, it's taxable income. Um, okay. And that helped. You, you remember that back in 08, 09 time frame when you know, some mortgages got kind of wiped out? Yeah. Um, people's credit got screwed up. And then all of a sudden they have a tax bill that they weren't expecting. Um, so that happened, when uh, the loan is that happened. I was going to say that happened to a friend who had got some credit card debt. And the credit card debt was forgiven, like $10,000. But the taxes on it were like three thousand. He's like, "Whoa, I wouldn't have done that." And you're like, "Yeah, you would have." <laughs> anyway, go ahead. He's still, yeah, that's still a pretty good trade. Three for ten, I'll take it. Um, 
the uh, and that reminds me. I mean, there's there's different uh, things on. Let's talk about the forbearance issues in a little bit. But the issue here is is that the loan, when it's forgiven, if it is forgiven, if you meet all the requirements, is not taxable. But the expenses that you use the loan to pay for, you know, those salaries, wages, rents, and utilities are not going to be deductible. So that that was some guidelines that were issued, you know, 24 hours ago or so. Um, and then the other thing that's that's coming out today that was interesting is that back on March 13th, when the president declared this a nationwide emergency, it means that Section 165I of the tax code kind of gets uh, people are able to use it. And okay. what that means is that. If you have very clear losses directly caused by COVID in 2020, you can use that to offset 2019 income. A lot of people obviously haven't filed taxes yet. They're not due until July. Um, And a lot of businesses were doing extremely well because the economy was really firing the last couple of years. So a lot of business owners have high taxable income in 2019. They haven't filed yet. And if they have losses from COVID, direct losses that can't be reimbursed through insurance, um, they, the losses related to the disaster and sustained in the year when the disaster has occurred, you can actually use it, the losses in the previous year. Um, and this is something that I kind of remember reading about the last time we had some sort of a major issue. But this is, this is an interesting one because people haven't filed yet, and they might be able to, if they have a bunch of losses in 2020, but... If you know there are certain type of business that isn't going to be up and running, and their income, their revenue is going to be so low that that business owner actually will have a loss. Um, that, you know, what's the point of it unless you have some income to offset it? And then there's other things in terms of net operating losses that you can carry backwards farther and things like that. So I think business owners especially in a situation like this, when there's all these new issues, if they've been trying to do their own tax return, don't. Get a CPA, ask them about these different items, ask them how the PPP loan is going to really affect your cash flow when the taxes are uh, higher as a result of what you used the PPP loan for. Um, I mean, again, it's still a forgivable loan, so it's still much better than not being able to deduct those expenses. But you know, there's just a, a lot of little nuances here that we're going to get more and more information as guidelines come out on what you should and shouldn't have used that PPP loan for. We're down to about two minutes. State budgets have to be hurting. Is that the next shoe to fall on the tax free bonds that are tied towards state and local governments? Well, hopefully that this is just a kind of a political posturing at this point and that, you know, there'll be some very clear government bailouts at the state level. This idea that, uh, you know, some politicians are saying, let the states go into bankruptcy. Um, is worse than saying, okay, states, we're going to help you with your budgets, but you cannot use this money to bail out your pension programs and things like that. That's not fair Um, because some pension programs are so underfunded and they've overpaid their retirees so much. I know that's kind of a controversial statement, but we can talk maybe next segment a little bit more about California tax-free bonds. Are they safe or not? What you, sh- what you should be looking at and how you should maybe reallocate your portfolio so you own more non-tax-free bonds in your retirement accounts and less bonds in your uh, – uh, more bonds in your retirement accounts and less bonds in your taxable accounts so you can avoid potential exposure to this and, and really just really low interest rates anyways. 
So, Chad, we've got about a minute and a half still. Um, are there any thoughts that you want to add to this before we wrap up the segment and start another segment? Yeah, I mean, just to tease it a little bit, um, you can kind of look at your retirement accounts and say, okay, maybe you have you know 70% stocks, 30% bonds in your retirement accounts, and the same in your taxable accounts. Maybe reduce the bond exposure in your taxable accounts, buy more stocks, yet sell some stocks in your retirement accounts and buy more diversified bonds that might not be subject to these low rates and potential municipality issues. There's certain parts of the corporate bond market I like better than states, um, but most of it has to do with you know income, Rob, versus you know potential bankruptcy of states. Sounds good. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You can also go get his podcast right now, which he does twice a week at least. You can find that at newfocusfinancial.com as well. It's a good listen. It's a little bit more um, academic than mine, but a lot more practical. I talk a lot about concepts about creating wealth. He talks about a lot of concepts on preserving wealth. He and I have refreshed all the documents at the webpage so that they're relevant. You can check out downloadables at newfocusfinancial.com. A lot of good professional financial content there. Check it out at newfocusfinancial.com. Plus, there's blogs and much, much more. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm lucky enough today to have CFP Chad Burton grace the show with his presence. I say that not tongue-in-cheekly. It's a good time to have a financial expert on the show who has not a different opinion from you, but a different kind of schooling. Um, learn, 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 learn. CFP Chad Burton, newfocusfinancial.com. Last segment, we were talking about um, the PPP, uh, the loan programs. We were talking about some of the minutia on it. One of the areas that, again, the theoretical stuff that we don't know about, like states are taking in way less money right now. Um, gas receipts are down, which have heavy taxes on them. Um, restaurant receipts are down. Uh, in California, we have the high sales tax on everything we buy. That has to be hurting. How do we avoid the bankruptcy? And how does California avoid taking our money and putting it into something that may ultimately fail, like a muni bond? Yeah, I think the first thing to note is the different types of bonds that are out there. So there's okay. general obligation bonds, right? And then there's revenue bonds. And the general obligation bonds, I believe, have to be paid kind of first before anything else by Constitution. Um, so the general obligation bonds are going to be a lot safer than revenue bonds. They're also a little lower in yield, typically. Um, what's really crazy right now, though, Rob, is that muni yields are currently almost double the rate of the 10-year Treasury, which is sitting at you know around 60 basis points or six tenths of one percent. And so that you know I don't remember that really happening. I mean, it might have happened in the last 25 years in the business, but I can't really remember it to that effect. Um, it's just really, really low rates. Typically, the highest grade munis have yields below that of Treasuries, so. Um, right now, it's just showing as a result of states that really got hit, um, high-income earners in states like Oregon and California really got hit by the tax code change that happened at the end of 2017, where you can't write off all of your state sales tax and all of your uh, property taxes. It's all capped at ten grand, so people are willing to take more risk, I guess, and, and get into these munis, even though the rates are really for high-quality California municipal bond fund, you're around 1.8 to 2.2 percent. 
I mean, just think about where they were when you and I started working together in 99, like, you know, four and a half, five percent. That's crazy. Um, there's a lot of rewards out there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's certain funds that you look at out there that I, I get scared that retail investors might flock to because they might see a fund, closed-end fund or, uh, you know, no-load fund or whatever that might show a yield of, say, 4% on a tax-free basis. With, mm-hmm. Well, the name is tax-free, but yet inside it there's a lot of leverage. There's very long maturities. Uh, they carry a lot more risk, whether it be for any, you know, municipalities that go under or interest rates jumping as a result of better-than-expected economic numbers. Like today, we got an ISM number, Rob, that came in at almost 42 versus 38 that was expected. Um, Still a bad number, but not as bad. Yeah, anything under 50 is contraction, but I thought it was going to be worse. I mean, again, I'm expecting within, you know, if we look back from March, I'm expecting two of the worst quarters of economic numbers we've had in our history, but also two of the best comparables in our history within the next 24 months, because there will be a rebound. To sidetrack a little bit, I will say that the market is pretty much priced for this virus not really hitting us very much again in the fall. So keep that in mind before people get too far out in front of their skis. Um, But getting back to Bonds, it's it's kind of like you look at this and you have to change a little bit of recommendations. That's why I've been saying on your show, the the podcast, everything else that we tell people to pay off their mortgages now more than ever. Than I've ever I I've told more people in the last two years to pay off their mortgage than I did in the last twenty five years. Because you just to give you an example, is, what's that? You should get a bumper sticker. <laughs> I hate bumper stickers more than anything. I mean, they're just, I, I don't get bumper stickers, but another. I get financial no, advice for bumper stickers. Pay off your mortgage. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just let me, a little public service announcement. Your bumper sticker has never changed the world in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, <laughs> um, what was I talking about? I totally forgot. Oh, yeah, okay. Tax free bonds. So, I was talking with somebody, um, uh, a Cisco employee, right? And they want to start transitioning into retirement somewhere in the next probably six to seven years. And currently their portfolio is almost 100% in stocks. So you you need to start adding bonds at some point. And in your 401k, you can make your contributions, but that's only going to, you know, add, you know, somewhere around $26,000 a year into bonds. Um, Your RSUs, are going to vest. They become taxable as they, they vest. So when people have RSUs that vest, they get fully taxed. There's no reason to continue to hold them if you need to diversify away from that single stock exposure that you have. So then you, you have this money that comes in after tax, and you have to choose how you invest it. And if you already own too much in stocks, your next step is, okay, do I want to buy bonds at 1.8 to 2%? Or if I'm going to retire in 10 years, Maybe I'll use that money to pay off my mortgage instead because I'm not getting much of a tax deduction anymore. Either you're, you're really far into that amortization of that loan or you're not even itemizing anymore as a result of this new tax code. And it's kind of nice to have that cash flow requirement gone when you go into retirement. So it's changed bond investing for sure. And I even sent out a couple of messages to my advisors to make sure when they're you know, reviewing overall allocation to accounts and things like that, if they need a certain amount of bonds in the household, if you're looking at your retirement accounts versus your taxable accounts, 
try to shift things around so we own more normal bonds and retirement accounts and less California tax-free bonds or Oregon tax-free bonds in the state. Like, we have clients in Idaho and Washington where you just do federal tax-free bonds. Um, just, just think you just got to move things around a little bit, be a little bit more active, because I don't know how this is all going to play out. Okay. As far as asset allocation goes, where, where should investors be allocating at this point in time? Well, let's say you're a balanced investor. So a balanced investor, typically all of their accounts look pretty similar. Okay. So let's say you're a 60 stock, 40 bond person. That okay. means your 401k looks typically like 60% stocks, 40% corporate and government bonds. And in your taxable account, you might have 60% stocks, 40% tax-free bonds. Okay. Well, you could change that around so that you maybe go... 80% stocks, 20% bonds in your taxable account, but then you flip it and go 40% stocks, 60% bonds in your retirement account. So your overall household allocation is the same, but you've just diversified a bit out of municipal bonds because there's actually a lot of value right now. There's The, the, the high-yield bond market, corporate high-yield bond market, for example, Rob, is, is basically priced for somewhere around 35 to 45% default rates. Wow. And so there's still a lot of value there. Um, and again, I'd rather just kind of have that broad exposure where you're in a institutional fund where you don't have retail investors like freaking out and anytime rates increase and forcing the bond manager to sell you. So in institutional bonds, and you're diversified among a lot of different corporations, a lot of different government entities um, versus just one state entity. So. I would say just to be smart, if all of your bonds are in California tax-free munis, then yeah. you need to diversify a little bit and move things around. Thanks very much. It's CFP Chad Burton. All the downloadables have been updated at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You can also request an appointment, get a review of your portfolio. Lots of good content. Listen to his podcast daily. Get a copy of it at newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. So rumor has it there's a guy up in the Pacific Northwest who's wandering the streets, shirtless, severely sunburned, with a big beard, torn pants. He's got a volleyball that he keeps screaming, Wilson at! Is that you, Chad Burton, CFP? I do have a pretty nice quarantine beard now. Do you? Longest That's I've nice. ever had. Okay. Mine's long. It's just really, really, really gray. <laughs> so, How did you know I was shirtless right now? That's weird. Can you see me? Do I have the camera on? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyhow, uh, let's get back to serious business here. We've gone through a crazy month of March on the downside, a crazy month of April on the upside. This was referred to as the most hated recovery on Wall Street because we don't know what the earnings are going to look like and variable other issues that could happen. The pandemic could spread bigger, more people could die. There could be a longer shutdowns, there could be second shutdowns. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, retirement accounts at this point in time. That has to be the people who got hurt the hardest in our world, um, the people who were like one year away from retirement. And they were all in and they had not diversified. Uh, what should retirement accounts be doing at this point in time? 
Well, yeah, I mean, you've heard me since 1999, since we started doing radio together, always talk about three years worth of portfolio draws in cash because you never know when these things come. Right? This is a virus and an oil war is a big cause of all this. And nobody was talking about that, you know, in the fourth quarter of 2019. And so if somebody has you know, the three years worth of portfolio draws in cash and a balanced portfolio, they'll still be able to retire this year. They're just fine. But if you didn't, you know, you're still down and you lack the ability to do a lot of, you know, reallocation right now because when the market's still down, you, you, you don't know if you want to become more conservative now. Maybe it's a little too late, right? I don't think it's ever too late to get allocated like you're supposed to be allocated for your goals and your risk tolerance. But... It's a tough time for somebody that was like, I'll get to my portfolio later. I'll get to my portfolio later because they were going to retire at the end of this year. And now they don't know if they can. And they have to do, you know, redo all of their plan, look at their cash flow, look at their spending. Um, and again, I want to push that when, when you go through a market correction like this, and the, the market's barely down for the year, Rob. I mean, in March, it was down huge. But right. now it's barely down for the year. Um, so it's not a huge correction at this point. But, which, you know, which is interesting to know because it feels like one, but it's not. And then after last year's great year, we should have had lower expectations, but we don't. A lot of emotions, a lot of behavioral finance going on right now, don't you think? Yeah, and the one I like is I, I almost feel like this is an American spirit rally, right? Because we don't know what our earnings are going to look like. We don't know. Uh, it's a very consumer-driven economy, um, and I think a lot of demand for shopping will come back. More of it will be online, but there's a lot of restaurants that will just never reopen again, for example. Um, so it's, it's really interesting on, on how this is all going to play out. But it's really like, we're going to get through this, so let's rally right back up almost to where we were, assuming that this doesn't hit us again in the fall. Um, so we're all very positive that this will you know, go away, that we'll get eventually a vaccine, and you know, we'll get herd immunity which, you know, that's debatable on, you know, go, go to Facebook and debate that if you want to, I guess. (laughs) But um, it is a good, it's a good time that if you felt really, really bad because you're retiring soon in March, we've had a huge rally back. So don't waste time on making changes now to your portfolio on how you should be allocated for, you know, basically the rest of your life here, if you're going into retirement. Okay. So what else are you working on right now? Um, what else are you seeing in the, the stock markets and the economy? Um, what are the, some of the questions on your show that you're getting? Um, well, a lot of it is just, you know, what's the there, – there's, there's two questions, and that's how do you invest right now to make sure that you're investing in companies that can make it through another couple, couple of tough quarters? Because, for example, if you look at small cap, which I was already talking about last year, Small cap stocks have gone through the the longest period of time of underperforming large cap stocks. Typically, small cap stocks outperform. And we went through a period of time where it's all been going into large cap, large cap, large cap. And the value is even there more now, Rob, on the small cap side. But you have to be much more specific company-wise because a lot of smaller companies, their you know their balance sheets aren't quite as strong as larger companies, and they don't have as access to as much credit if they need to. So 
while the value is there, you have to make sure that somebody's looking at actual balance sheets and income statements of these small cap companies saying that, okay, if this returns in the fall again, can we still continue to own this company and make it through a, a tough event? If so, these things are going to be extremely valuable five years from now. I always invest three to five years out. I don't care what happens in the next three to six months. I, I truly do not care. Um, do, do you care what happens but, in the next three to six months? <laughs> <laughs> Nope, don't care. I put my head in the sand. Um, no, but it, I mean, the, so the issue is, is that a little bit more active management versus indexing on small cap international emerging markets because there's um, a lot of value there. Um, international emerging markets, especially through you know the correction in March, did not fall as much as the S and P 500 because they were already priced for a recession. Everybody already knew overseas was bad. So they didn't fall quite as much, but I also want to make sure that somebody's actually looking at the companies. So um, less indexing, more active management on the small cap side, especially. That's one of the things we're looking at. And then just again, like I was talking about, looking at your overall fixed income exposure, making sure that if you have a certain amount of bonds in your portfolio, it's not all in aggressive California tax-free munis. Um, a retirement account, if you're going to have a majority of your bonds in your retirement account, you always want about 50 to 60% of your bonds that you're going to own in very core bond funds. That means high-quality, intermediate, corporate, you know, A-rated or above bonds, and then intermediate government bonds. So you have the corporate side and the government side. You want 50 to 60% of your money, your bond money in that area. And then surrounded on one end, you're going to have a very short-term corporate bond fund, high quality, and a very short-term government bond fund. Uh, this is where I do use ETFs and bonds. I, I typically like retail. I don't like retail bond. I like institutional no-load bond funds versus ETFs. And the volatility that occurred in ETFs in March is exactly why. Um, so on one end, I want these short-term corporate and short-term high-quality government bonds. And on the other end, surrounding my core positions, I want unconstrained bond funds and market neutral. So remember when we were having that, that uh, discussion, Rob, about inflation, potential inflation coming? Right. <clears throat> Not seen a lot of it yet, but... But yeah, I mean, we have, we have a supply chain disruption that companies never, ever want to go through again. That's true. Like, why would I want to get all my stuff out of China if they get hit with some other virus? So you're going to have diversification of supply chains. You're going to have a lot of supply chains coming back to the U.S., which means higher wages, which means higher costs being passed to consumer. At some point, we're going to see inflation because we haven't seen it for 10 years. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't want to spend with my six other CFPs. I don't want to spend three hours in a meeting discussing whether or not we have inflation, if we should invest in TIPS or Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. So I want a fund managed by a expert, a team of experts, knowing when to move from you know, intermediate high quality into high yield convertibles or inflation protected bonds. So I want, on the other end of that, an unconstrained bond fund that can move into different areas and adjust the allocation for me because I don't want to have to think about it. I think bond managers tend to be smarter than stock managers. It's a harder business. It's funny because I usually say the bond market's smarter than the stock market, but the stock market's better at guessing six months in the future. But that's neither here nor there. Um, changing topics. Let's talk annuities real quick. CFP, Chad Burton, newfocusfinancial.com. Um, Annuities get painted broadly. Some people love them. Some people hate them. What's your thoughts about using annuities? I think you should hate most of them, but there are some good ones out there because um, 
the the whole idea that you know uh, the fee planning the fiduciary style planning where you're not working on commissions there's no bias that's becoming extremely pos- popular and there's more and more laws passed to push advisors that direction mm-hmm. um and so as a result there's been a lot of no load variable annuities that have come out and a couple of commission free index annuities so what a, what a variable annuity is, is it allows you to take money. And typically, you only want to do annuities with your retirement accounts because of the way that they're taxed. Okay. And if, you, if you've heard Susie Orman in the past, she said something opposite, I believe. It's because she's not, you know, she hasn't actually done this. Um, so <laughs> you, have, you have retirement accounts that when, when you pull money out, it's 100% taxable. And on annuities, when you pull money out, the gains are 100% taxable. So they match. So you only want to do annuities with retirement accounts. And let's say you have a risk tolerance that's really low and it's, you know, you're only 55 and you got 10 plus years to retire and it's causing you to put 60% in bonds. Well, it can allow you to take your bond money, put it into a variable annuity where it's a mix of stocks and bonds inside the sub-accounts, mm-hmm. but it has some sort of an income guarantee where your original investment grows at you know, somewhere between 4 and 5%, and then when you hit retirement, you'll get to take somewhere between 4 to 6% of that, depending on your age, for the rest of your life. And, and what that means is that if the, the account ever goes to zero, the insurance company is still on the hook. It has to pay you. It's called a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit. So as long as you're with a really safe insurance company and you're willing to take more principal risk up and down in exchange for income risk, that 4 to 5% range is, is almost double what you can get on munis right now. So there are some decent Thanks. no-load variable annuities. Now, they have higher fees. You're going ha- to pay like 2% more a year in fees in exchange for this guaranteed income. We'll talk about this and much, much more in the future. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Grab his podcast, listen to his show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So I super appreciate CFP Chad Burton joining me today. I've got a little bit of a scratchy voice that needs a little bit of work. Talking about COVID, talking about the CARES Act. It's a good hour. You can go grab it on a podcast at iTunes. Look for Rob Black and your money. You can also find CFP Chad Burton there as well. When we last left off, Mr. Burton, we were talking about annuities. and uh, Some of the annuities that get pushed on radio and television concern me because they're high cost, high fees. They're not appropriate for most of America. Um, the commission, the salesperson's getting the money. I don't want to be cynical about it um, because you've said that there's some that are okay. Do you like the index to annuities? What are your thoughts? There's uh, two different ones that have uh, that that I've liked in the past, okay. um, and I'm not going to mention any names or anything like that. But um, one company came out with a commission-free version of an indexed annuity. In other words, it does not pay an advisor. Well, let's not call them advisors. Let's call them what they are, and that's sales based commission insurance agents. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love my insurance agent, but when it comes to life insurance, yes, or property and casualty, yes, but when it comes to an, any kind of investments at all, commissions are not a good idea. So when a commission-free index annuity came out, it means it's more money in the pocket of the consumer. And what it what an indexed annuity is, is the, the plain vanilla versions of them, they're t- typically about five years long, and you go into it and it says, okay, you're going to get a certain percentage 
of the movement of the S&P 500 over a 12-month period. And so if you start off today and you look out 12 months and the S&P 500 is up 8%, you might get like 4.5%, of that movement. There's no dividends at all. So it's purely the price movement. So it kind of creates this space between stocks and bonds because you don't get 100% of the stock movement because it's a capped movement. Again, if the market only goes, if the market goes up 8, 10, 12, 20%, you might only get 45 okay. um, But if the market's down, you just get zero that year. And then bonds aren't yielding a ton unless you go into the more aggressive version. So that that four and a half five percent might get you a better return than even bonds, and you have principal safety as long as the insurance company. It's it's only backed by the credit quality of the insurance companies. So you got to be with a safe insurance company. Um, they're also five years long, Rob. While they don't pay a commission to anybody, the index annuities are typically at least five years long. Where if you pull more than ten percent out a year, you might pay a penalty. Um, but it's a good spot. There's there's two places that the index annuities can work. One is if you have safer money that you need. So you have that three years worth of portfolio draws in cash, but you're not retiring for five years. So you're like, well, I want to get better than 1.8% or 1.2% in an ally bank online FDIC insured account because I don't need my safe money for like five years you can potentially get more in an indexed product like that, as long as it's not paying a commission to anybody. Um, the other option is when people know they need to reduce the risk inside, say, a retirement account, they need to peel off some equity exposure, but they don't necessarily want to buy bonds right now. They don't need the income. They don't need the money anytime soon, so they want a little bit more potential. They can also use that for um, a, a place to kind of re- use to rebalance in between stocks and bonds. I want to pull off some money off the table on stocks, but I don't want to be in bonds because it's not paying very much. And if interest rates jump, then bonds fall in value. So maybe I'll throw it in a five-year uh, indexed commission-free annuity because I don't, I don't need it right now. Um, so th- that's that's one issue. The other issue again too is just the, on that no-load variable annuity, which is different. So an indexed annuity has principal guarantee by the insurance company. All right. Okay. A variable annuity, you allow yourself to take more risk. Your principal will fluctuate in value, but your income is guaranteed. And for a guarantee, you're paying higher fees. So, again, a decent place for those is if you're 55, 60 years old, you're trying to reduce your equity exposure, but and you're more interested in the income guarantees, you don't care about the principal fluctuation as much, that might be okay for a retirement account. So, you, get, you know, you never want to put more than 20% of your portfolio in, a, in an annuity, and you want to make sure that they're either commission-free or no load. We've got a minute or two left, not much time. Hit real quick a new hybrid insurance product, life insurance. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. So, the because the long-term care insurance industry has failed so much, the life insurance industries started changing policies and offering policies where you can buy life insurance and while you're alive, you can use the death benefit if you need long-term care, like home health care and things like that. So um, when people are really worried about you know, long-term care issues in the future, but they don't want to throw a bunch of money into a lot. I mean, Rob, people are getting all these rate increases from GE and on their long-term care, and they feel like they're wasting money. So in a, in a hybrid policy, you can actually make sure that somebody gets either the death benefit or you use it while you're alive for long-term care. So there's actually some decent ones out there. 
And if you put that into an irrevocable life insurance trust, you can save estate taxes. And if it's an indemnity program, you can still use it for long-term care. So a lot of planning opportunities around those policies now. I love that you said planning opportunities, but something that I, and I'm just going to be honest with you, when you, when you talked about it, I was like, what if a bad insurance salesperson gets advantage, gets this information and starts using some of the things he's saying, like, oh, you can use this hybrid policy and people kind of forget, you know, I'm just really yeah. nervous or something along those lines. I've seen them put in place, Rob, where people bought one because they wanted it for long-term care, but they also wanted it out of their estate, but the policy was the wrong type and it didn't even work in that in that type of estate planning program. Um, so yeah, you have to be careful. Have have a you know fee only CFP looking at these issues. Okay, that sounds good. Thanks for joining us. It's CFP Chad Burton. Let me get a good full plug in. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. He will join me from time to time. I will sit in on his show. He does a show in the mornings. Um, he podcast is the greatest way of doing it. Listen to it. KDOW.biz is also streaming it, uh, but you can find that uh, at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Tell friends about it. Um, he sits in as a CFP. He works for newfocusfinancial.com. It's he owns newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Lots of good informa- information at the website. You can go get some downloadables over the holidays. We both work to refresh those. They look good. They look current. They look like valid data, which you always have to be updating your data in this industry. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com.